HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's episode is brought to you by In Harvest, spearheading delicious innovation on school menus with rice and rice blends and intact whole grains. In Harvest, the perfect partner for schools looking to implement the whole grains requirement in creative new ways. For more information, visit InHarvest.com. Inside School Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate upper right-hand corner. And thank you. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. We are the podcast for K through 12 nutrition professionals and other people active in the school food space. I'm Laura Stanley. Today we bring you another episode about what's happening and what's not happening with child nutrition reauthorization, which was supposed to occur, you know, was it last September? Um, But here we are, it's late June and we are waiting on the sidelines of a highly partisan food fight in the House of Representatives. Um, Unlike the nonpartisan Senate CNR bill, the House bill, which is also known as H.R. 5003, um, this bill reflects a Republican agenda. Not a single Democrat on the, Democrat, uh, on the drafting committee voted for it. Um, Inside School Food began its coverage of H.R. 5003 bill, the bill back in April, um, and that's when we got our first look at a discussion draft. Last month, we took a close look at changes that this bill proposes for community eligibility. And today we take on another in this uh, measure in this bill for school nutrition block grants. Um, I expect most of you listening today have heard at least a little about this, um, some of you a lot. Um, and you're about to learn a lot more, uh, courtesy of two guests that I'm very excited to have on the show. Uh, Congressman Bobby Scott of Virginia's third 
district is the ranking member of the Committee on the Education and the Workforce, and that's that's the committee responsible for the House CNR bill. Mr. Scott has been serving on education workforce ever since joining Congress in 1993. Over this time, he has emerged as a champion for the rights of children in high-needs communities. As the senior Democrat on the committee, Mr. Scott has led the charge for fair and equal access to education from Head Start through to college. He's done the same for children's health care and for the juvenile justice reform. His All Healthy Children Act, which was co-sponsored with Senator Bernie Sanders in 2007, helped prepare the ground for the Affordable Care Act. Um, after station break, we'll be speaking with Doug Davis, who is food service director for the Burlington, Vermont Public Schools and the chairman of the School Nutrition Association's Public Policy and Legislative Committee. Um, so, Congressman Scott, welcome. We're very honored to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Laura. Well, so simply put, a block grant is is a lump sum of federal money that is provided to states to operate a federal assistant program more locally and autonomously. And in this case, it would be a pilot program involving three states for three years, and it would cover... Um, uh, all federal school nutrition programs in these states, most notably the National School Lunch and National School Breakfast Programs. Um, and, and the rationale given in a press release from your Republican colleagues is, and I quote here, to spur innovation and allow local education and nutrition leaders to explore more effective ways to provide assistance to children and families in need. Um, and when we last discussed the House CNR bill in its entirety on Inside School Food, this measure wasn't in there yet. Um, it was introduced, introduced quite later in the process. So I'm wondering how this idea emerged and, and why you know, it, it, was it added to the bill? Well, first of all, um, the committee had an opportunity to improve the child nutrition program uh, but in, during the reauthorization process, but they took the opportunity to reduce nutritional standards, kick kids out of the program, and sabotage the after-school and summer programs. Um, the block grant and it just adds insult to injury to it because it, it eliminates many of the requirements that localities have to perform and gives them, quote, flexibility mm -hmm. uh, to do uh, pretty much what they want. But the major scandal in block grants is that uh, once you have formed a block grant, you tend to lose uh, individualized support for the program, um, and it's easy to cut a block grant. You just take off 20 percent and, you know, you just send, the, send whatever's left. And all of the program, all of the uh, social programs that have been uh, placed in a block grant in the last few years have suffered uh, significant cuts in funding. Every time there's a budget cut, you just go into a block grant and lop off 20 percent of it and you save some money. Yeah, you, so, can't, mm -hmm. you can't do that if you can't do that if it's a discrete program like Head Start, mm -hmm. because you know you're kicking kids out, out, out of the program. When you lop off uh, money for a block grant, it's, it's somewhat benign, and you, can get, and you can generally get away with it. So, so let me talk about that a little bit more. So there, we've been many instances of the past of, of public assistance programs that were converted to block grants, and then those pro programs um, experienced lower funding and a dim diminishment of their their agenda. You know, can you are there some examples in the past that we could look to um, as in, to give us a sense of what might happen in this case? 
Yeah, the um, just a, a number of um, uh, block grant uh, programs, the community development block grant, since um, uh, twenty uh, in the last fifteen years, community development block grant has lost almost half its money. Mm-hmm. A training employment services block grant since um, in the last fifteen years has lost over forty percent. Maternal and child health block grant lost about a third. Social services block grant about thirty percent. Native American housing block grant. Temporary assistance for needy families. Both of those programs lost about a quarter of their funding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just easy. You, you can't if you have a a program with specific requirements. You just can't knock off twenty five percent without affecting some line item uh, of services that uh, that's being provided. And block grant though, you just lop off the um, requisite amount and then send the state the rest and leave it up to the state or the localities to figure out how to stretch the money to cover these kinds of services that had been previously provided. And so if your goal is to cut the budget, uh, block grant is the um, uh, most effective way to do it, or most effective first step. Right. So that's one way these programs lose funding is the cuts occur on the federal level. They get less in block grants. And then my understanding is that um, states that have authority over how these programs are administered can also divert money for the program that's in the block grant for other uses. So there, there's loss that can occur, can, can occur locally as well. Is that right? Uh, yeah. The um, uh, Well, when you, when you form a block grant, one of the um, – Strategies. One of the schemes involved in that is you you eliminate most of the requirements, so they can do what they want. And when you give them less money, they obviously can accomplish less. Mm-hmm. And the the um, idea that you're going to um, try to find nutritious meals, the child nutrition program uh, outlines uh, the kind of nutrition standards for the breakfast and the lunch program, for the um, after school and summer programs. Um, the um, it provides um, a formula, who qualifies and who doesn't. When you get a block grant, you can kind of make it up as you go along. And uh, people will, uh, will will get in, get out. The nutrition standards are essentially non-existent. Uh, the number of meals you have to serve with the money uh, becomes a, a, a more of a local option. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about a block grant is you just give the money and don't worry about it. That's why it's so easy to cut. Uh, because so, yeah. you, you don't have you, nobody has any requirements. You just cut the money. So you're talking about a tremendous amount of autonomy, and, and I just want to make. You said you know they, states would have the option to serve fewer meals, so as few as one a day. They can um, they can change the eligibility rules so that they're stricter and fewer children are eligible to eat for free or at reduced price. They, essentially, they can do whatever they want, and that applies to nutrition standards as well. Right, and there's some requirements left, but the idea is to reduce the um, requirements, which means uh, in many states, in many circumstances, reducing the um, um, the, the, the services. Mm-hmm. But then the, the the main problem with the block grant is it's easy to cut the funding. If you cut um, uh, funding on, on most programs, you have to take money off a line item, and you know exactly who got hit. Mm-hmm. With a block grant, you just take a meat axe and whack, knock off 20%. And, and, and in some of these cases, the, um, uh, as, as I indica- indicated, the, um, the cut is uh, half the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, try to provide the same number of school lunches with half the money. 
Right. Well, can we go back to my original question? This 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 measure entered the bill late in the process. Um, it was voted on during markup. Who introduced it, and why is this happening? Well, the um, um, many of the provisions had been around the uh, reduced standards, the um, uh, fewer uh, kids automatically eligible in the uh, summer and after school programs. Those we they'd been talking about those. Uh, the block grant just came out of the blue, and, and um, you know, if, if your goal is to cut the funding, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. And you'll, so you'll have to ask them why somebody introduced a, uh, a block grant. I mean, if they say it's local flexibility, it's sure, local flexibility to use the money for something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So- uh, local flexibility, and when, when, when they... When they go out, when when they have a little budget uh, stress, you just lop off twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So your response to the um, the the clause or the section I read out of the press release, um, which was, you know, the purpose of this is to spur innovation and allow local education and nutrition leaders to explore more effective ways to provide assistance to children and families in need. It doesn't sound that's that that's what you think they're after. Well, you um, um, have. It's kind of hard to see how you're helping children in need mm-hmm. when you're reducing the funding. Right, right. Um, so uh, during the markup session, um, just I, I, I followed the whole thing, um, and Congressman Glenn uh, Grothman of Wisconsin remarked that he wasn't convinced that childhood hunger is really an issue in the United States, and he, he cited high obesity rates as evidence that kids are well fed. I, I wonder if you could comment that on that, and, and how prevalent is that attitude um, on the committee? Would you say? Well, I, I think the um, I'll let a statement speak for itself. I, I think most people would just uh, doesn't need a comment. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people know how absurd it is. We've had childhood nutrition uh, challenges since after World War II when we passed the original child nutrition bill. as, as a result of military uh, community saying that they were having trouble recruiting uh, uh, children uh, because uh, young, young, young adults because they were so malnourished as children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that um, uh, children who are malnourished have a great, much greater likelihood of um, health uh, consequences in the future that are very expensive, uh, diabetes being uh, one of the major, major factors. And as we go through the years, better nutrition has been has meant better health for children. It uh, helps us with our national security because more people are eligible for military service. It helps us in health care because fewer people will be getting diabetes because they had healthy foods to begin with. I mean, this is a, a, a an investment in our in our children that pays off in national security, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and we still have we still have problems because so many uh, the obesity. I mean, I think that's why this. The comment isn't worth commenting on. Yeah. The obesity is, is a result of poor nutrition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want more, if you want more obesity, then you would reduce the standards, uh, the nutrition standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, but we have a problem now. The military will tell us that um, a, a, a minor, it's about twenty five percent of uh, young adults are eligible for, medic, uh, for for military service because of drug use. Uh, haven't graduated from high school criminal records and and obesity right. still a major problem 
mm-hmm. in uh, standing up for military service. Right. So the last thing we need is somebody cutting their nutrition standards and, 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 um, and cutting the school lunch program uh, so, so that fewer, peeps, fewer young people reading nutritious uh, foods, uh, fewer young people would be eligible for military service, and more young people will have um, health, expensive health challenges uh, that, that we all pay for. Right. Um, we pay generally about the same for, for health insurance, and when somebody uh, has a chronic disease, I mean, the whole system has to pay a little more, and your premium just went up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, I think we all have an interest in young people eating nutritious food. Right. right. So, Congressman, you you, uh, pro- you were very outspoken during the markup session, and you proposed changing the bill to the Hunger Games Act of 2016. So, I, I think that that <laughs> says it all. Well, that was a, that was a light moment in there, but I think it pointed <laughs> out to the fact that you have more children fighting over less food. Mm-hmm. The, the, their proposals would significantly reduce the number of children eligible for a school lunch, and 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 make it even more complicated for those that are eligible to actually uh, get signed up. Mm-hmm. The uh, community eligibility provision is a provision that uh, administrators and, and, and advocacy groups all like because when you get to a certain point, the uh, administrative burden of just going through the eligibility. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up community eligibility, and I will direct listeners who are new to this podcast to our uh, most recent podcast, which was, I believe it was May 23rd. You'll find it on our website, which really um, went into depth about community eligibility, how it works, and, and basically supports um, all the arguments you just made about it, Mr. Scott. So thank you for that. Well, one of the good things about the um, eligibility for school lunch is, is more during a recession, more children are, are, are eligible, and they can come right into the program, mm-hmm. and the program expands to uh, deal with that, that temporary circumstance. If you have a block grant and you have a surge of uh, new people coming in, there's not enough money for everybody. They can't, they can't respond. Exactly. And so that's, a, that's another problem with the, uh, with the block grant, along with the fact that it's just teed up for, uh, for budget cuts. Every time there's a little budget squeeze, you go around and find all the block grants, Right. And lop off a little bit, and uh, then you have then you have a recession. You've got less money. It's not uh, flexible enough to accommodate the new new people coming in. Mm-hmm. And that block grant is just it's just overall a bad idea for a program like school lunches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That that's a, indeed an important point that there's no flexibility to accommodate a economic downturn or growth in population or any other um, issues that might cause need to expand. So, um, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so, Mr. Scott, Scott, again, it's been great having you on um, and an honor to have you on the show. Um, and and thank you especially for your advocacy of healthy and fair food in our schools. Well, thank you, Lauren. It's, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, you've been listening to a conversation with Congressman Bobby Scott, who is ranking member of the House Committee on Education and the Worst Workforce. This is Inside School Food. After station break, we will continue to drill down with the help of SNA's Doug Davis.
Ready to get creative with whole grains? USDA's new rules created a delicious spectrum of options that are new to school food, from many varieties and colors of rice to intact grains like wheat berries, quinoa, and barley. Don't know where to start? In Harvest is here to help. Their K-12 chef, Colleen Donnelly, is at the ready with training strategies and menu solutions that she can adapt to your setting, your kitchens, your budget, your staff, and your students' preferences. With In Harvest as your partner, excite your customers with multicultural whole grain rice bowls, pilafs, cold grain salads, and shaker salads. Jazz up breakfast with yogurt parfaits made with In Harvest Sunrise Blend, a high-protein mix of ancient wheat, buckwheat groats, red rice, quinoa flakes, and whole brown flaxseed. In Harvest, cultivating healthy preferences for whole grains at school for life. For more information, visit inharvest.com. Welcome back. I'm Laura Stanley. Today we're talking about the pilot block grants proposed in the House CNR Bill, a.k.a. H.R. 5003. Um, you know, and for the record, we did make a sincere and serious effort to involve Congressman John Klein in today's episode, Mr. Klein being the Republican chair of the Education Workforce Committee. Um, we sent his office a lot of really good questions, or I thought they were really good, um, and so far we've been directed to just two very brief press releases that are really all assertion and no substance. So more on those shortly. Um, So for our second act today, we have the amazing Doug Davis. Uh, Doug is such an inspirational figure in our school food universe. He is a CIA graduate who is best known for his trailblazing work in farm to school. He's been the director of food service for the Burlington uh, School Food Project since 1997. And someday soon, I would like to get him on the show to talk about that. Um, But he's with us today in his role as chair of the School Nutrition Association's Public Policy and Legislative (coughs) Committee. Uh, The SNA is spearheading a national effort to block the block grants, along with the Food and Research Action Center and the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. So um, welcome to Inside School Food, Doug. Thank you, Laura, and I'd also like to uh, echo your thanks to Ranking Member Bobby Scott for being on. He is uh, certainly a hero to child nutrition programs, and we appreciate his and the other um, members of the committee trying to block the block grants as well. Right, absolutely. Um, so maybe you know we sh- maybe we should talk a little bit about the the history. Um, it's it's. Uh, you know, back this this has been attempted before. Uh, back in, uh, I mean, there were proposals for block grants for school nutrition programs under both Presidents Ford and Reagan, and most notably um, under uh, New, under the leadership of Newt Gingrich with the Contract of America in 1994. But the school nutrition community um, prevailed then. Um, so I'm wondering how you f- you're feeling about this go around. Well, as you, as some of your listeners may remember, it was the contract with America. Um, Speaker Gingrich at the time felt that, um, as part of his poverty plan, that all of these programs should be block granted, school lunch included. Um, what we saw then, um, it was one of my very first years actually in child nutrition, and what I remember from then and what I've read to remind me is that there was just this upswell of of resistance, you know, to recognize that this is simply not the way we should be feeding our children in America. Mm -hmm. And we should really find a way to fight and to protect the meal programs. And 
a lot of groups came in to support child nutrition programs, and it really did create the fabric of the safety net that we are all still living with, you know, mm-hmm. because the, 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 the challenge of hunger does not go away. So what we need to do and what we did in 1995 is bring a face to it and recognize that child nutrition programs are um, a vital part of um, the, the safety net and what American families need to, to survive, but more importantly, how um, the grassroots effort around child nutrition programs can and has been um, a really strong advocate. And um, the I think it was Newt Gingers who said that uh, he admitted to being school-lunched. Yes, um, he, very famously. You know, <laughs> and it's something that uh, I think... Well, I would. I haven't talked with him, but I would assume he hasn't forgotten. Right, right, right. So you know, it, so I'm glad you mentioned that the the huge coalition that rose up um, then, because we're seeing that again now. Um, an enormous uh, number of uh, health, education, and anti hunger groups. Um, they've coalesced around this campaign called hashtag Stop Stop the Block. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who are they? Well, there are about a you know there are hundreds, maybe even a thousand groups on mm-hmm. this letter now. Um, but I mean, what's interesting is that it's what I find, and I think that um, you know, Congressman uh, Scott said it as well. I mean, it's the folks that are in, at, at the front lines of this, the folks that see the children who benefit, who are or, who are signing this. I mean, there are, like I said, hundreds and hundreds on the list. But just to point out some that really jumped out to me, you know, the American Federation of Teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the folks who are in the classroom with these kids every single day. They recognize the value of what these meals bring. Um, and to me, the, the, the view of a teacher is so important because there are a lot of families who believe that by feeding their child breakfast in the morning or by providing their child with a healthy lunch in the afternoon, they've, you know, they have provided their student with the best opportunity to learn. And in many cases, that's true. But what I have seen in my 25 years in, in schools is that it isn't the children who have the meals um, in the morning or in the afternoon that, that are the challenge. It's the ones that don't. So if there are 20 kids in a classroom, and on average 50% of our students in public schools are eligible for free reduced-priced meals, that means every other student sitting at that table is hungry. And the amount of time that the teachers have to take to to help the children who are acting out because of hunger does impact children of all incomes mm-hmm. and does in- impact children whose parents have done the best they can to feed them. Mm-hmm. So I think that getting the American Federation of Teachers to weigh in on this is is a big deal because they really understand the, the outcome and the importance of it. Also on the list are the Association of Secondary School Principals and mm-hmm. National Association of Social Workers, mm-hmm. two groups that, again, recognize not only what the value is of the child nutrition program and how it's providing meals for our students, but how the lack of them would further stretch the, the resources and capacity of the schools that we have. I mean, schools are being stretched and cut in many different places and ways, and by adding this, um, oppor- or, or adding this possibility to schools and the weight that the schools are dealing with in terms of um, behavior and um, slide in the summer and, and just things that 
are impacted by hunger around kids and education, it would just set them back even further. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mentioned at the top of the segment that I had sent some questions to Congressman Klein's office. So I, I want to ask you some of the same questions I, I asked um, his staff, um, the, the ones about money. Um, you know, we, we just heard from Congressman Scott that public programs that are shifted to block grants always lose funding, and that happens on the federal level and at the local level. So I'd like to look at what that might look like in more specific terms um, in our three prospective pilot states, and, and we don't know which states at this point would sign up, but just you know, generic three. Um, so, you know, for argument's sake, let's assume that none of the funding provided by the block grant is diverted from food service. And I know that's a generous assumption. Um, but it, in that case, you know, what, where, where is the funding lost? What funding is lost? So just off the top, and um, the bill is, you know, 195, almost 200 pages long. So there are a lot of things that are not perfectly clear within the bill. Mm -hmm. But what we can see in the bill that is clear is that states would lose the six cents per lunch reimbursement that they have earned by meeting the meal pattern requirements of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. Mm -hmm. Um, Over 95% of the schools are meeting that requirement. So that is six cents off the top that every lunch would lose. In addition to that, schools do offer meals to full-paying students um, because our program is a program for all children. You know, we have to make sure that we don't create what is what it used to be, a soup line, a, um, a welfare-type program. Um, this is an educational program that should be and has to be available to all kids. So 29 cents off of every breakfast and lunch served to full-price paying students would be lost. Mm -hmm. Um, The other piece I think that is important is that the grant amount remains static for three years. So there's no additional funding. And it goes directly back to what Congressman Scott said. If there's an increase in enrollment or a uh, local manufacturing plant were to lay off for whatever reason and the numbers increased, the families could very well run out of money. We saw it here in Vermont during the economic downturn. Mm-hmm. You know, we had our numbers shoot up very quickly. Um, you know, during that during that portion of the school year, we saw a lot of families who never had applied before having to apply. And what would we do if there was such um, a, a run up of kids needing that service and the money simply ran out? I mean. This is not, um, this can't be looked at as anything other than a hungry student. You know, this is a hungry child. If we run out of money, how, how do we deal with that? What do we do to make sure that there's food in the bellies of these kids? Right, right. Um, there's also, and I'm sorry, but, you know, there's also the reality that there's no adjustment for inflation. Mm-hmm. And as our costs go up for both food and labor, um, we're going to have a very difficult time keeping up if, indeed, um, the block grant program is, are put into place. Yeah, yeah. And then what about USDA commodity entitlements? So, you know, by law, those entitlements must count for no less than, like, something like 12% of federal support. So that's that's a huge amount of, of value right there. Are these pilot districts or pilot states going to have access to USDA commodities? So there's a lot of questions still about that, mm-hmm. Laura, to be honest. You know, given the, how vague the text is, we don't really know. Um, but you're exactly right. I think it's between, I think it's around 30 cents per child um, per lunch. Mm-hmm. And we're not sure what's going to happen with that funding because it's not clear within the bill. There's also other revenue streams such as the state administrative expenses, you know, the, the money that states get to run the program within the state. We don't know what's going to happen to that money. Um, 
also there are state funds that come in based upon federal reimbursement Mm -hmm. that may or may not come. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a question as to whether or not if a state were to participate, if USDA Foods would buy commodity products from the state that's not participating in the program. Oh, right. You know, so there are so many layers. Um, and honestly, that's why SNA has come out to say that this is really a reckless program change. If indeed this is something that, you know, is going to go through and get any traction, um, there are so many unknowns. And again, at the end of the day, there will be children going home hungry to homes that most likely are not able to fill that need. And given what the congressman said about other programs that have been cut Mm -hmm. and funding that has been cut, it is the child nutrition program that remains the strongest safety net for our families. And we need to do all we can, and we need to rally as many troops and as much grassroots, grassroots activity as possible to make sure that these children do not go hungry at the end of the day. Well, so so the you know one of the memos that um, I'll be posting these memos on today's show page. It 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 it's, it talked about the fact that this pilot is only three states, as if somehow that was um, you know less of a challenge for the school nutrition community. Originally, this measure was uh, to to move all of federal nutrition uh, school nutrition programs to block grants. So this this was considered a, a compromise to run as a pilot. For three states, and I have to say that that all states um, idea of nine uh, members of the committee did did vote for that. Um, you, you know, so so I mean, what's your response to that? Because they say it's only three states, no big deal. It's an experiment. I, you know, so you know, you're but you're still you know very concerned. Why? Well, I, it's to me, you know, um, to say it's only three states. Um, really is only to get the foothold to get what exactly what Congressman Scott had said. You mm-hmm. know, this is just the first step in eliminating funding for our programming. Um, and of course, by saying in one breath, let's do 50, and then negotiating down to three would appear to some as being a reasonable compromise. It is simply not a reasonable compromise. It opens up the door to the creation of, of the end. Um, it, it allows for what I believe to be the systematic dismantling of our programming. Um, the challenge really lies to me in that there are states that are that are cash-starved. Mm-hmm. You know, if you hand them um, a bucket of money or a pail of money to use with as they choose, there are going to be a lot of holes to fill. So other states could, I, I guess to me, you know, there is no rational reason to move towards block granting because all it does is put our students at risk. And just just for your and just just to give you an example, um, SNA did reach out to state agencies to find out what that money change would look like in the first year of a block grant. Mm-hmm. Um, a state like California would lose seventy eight million dollars. Texas seventy two. North Carolina twenty four. Missouri sixteen. Wow. Um, uh, Congressman Grotham's home state of, of Wisconsin would lose $15 million. Mm-hmm. And that's just the first year, assuming that we know, all, just, just using what we know, we don't even know some of the other things deep within um, the bill that may add to that number. And though our programs are operating on a shoestring now. Schools are operating to prepare these meals in the best way we can. 
and provide our students with the best access to fresh, healthy food. And the removal of these funds is only going to impact food quality and the quality of the people doing the work. Well, and, and as a farm-to-school uh, champion, Doug, I wonder if you could comment on the effect of, of you know, a programs, farm-to-school programs, which enjoy strong bipartisan support. Like, for instance, in your state of Vermont, say Vermont moved to block grants. What would be the impact of your farm-to-school programming and of your, your agricultural sector? Well, I mean, it would be it would be very large for sure, um, and you're you're exactly right. Vermont is a very strong advocate of farm to school programming. Senator Leahy's office is the office that created the, the grants and got them through into the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. It is one of the very few um, things that that appear in both. Uh, CNR um, bills right now is the farm to school grants. Um, but the challenge is that if states are allowed to create their own meal program, their own meal standards, mm-hmm. um, they're, we're not going to have the volume to provide to our, our farmers to create a, a market in which they can participate. So much of what we do around farm to school requires us to create um, uh, volume sales and purchasing forecasts. Um, all of this throws that, you know, into a, a pail and then up in the air. You have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, how how would that conversation go between me and a farmer? Right. You know, mm-hmm. we may or may not be able to serve breakfast next year. Mm-hmm. You know, we may run out of money in April. Um, it's just, it is not conducive to relationship building and what farm to school truly is and what child nutrition programs truly are mm-hmm. is relationship building among uh, school and community. Well, and you could make um, the, that same argument for participants in the national supply chain. Um, you know, it's... Uh... I think it's, it's going to be more impactful to the national mm-hmm. um, because we run the risk of states creating their own nutrition standards, their own meal pattern. Um, I mean, nutrition standards, we've been talking about them for a long time, but people need to remember that SNA was one of the first groups to come out and ask for them because we found it very important and still find it very important that schools, no matter where they're from, get the same quality of meal. Mm -hmm. If we move to a point now where schools and states can choose their own meal patterns, then how is that going to work for manufacturers? How is that going to work for distributors who have to bring stuff in on a national level? Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got a distribution company, that distributes throughout the country, and California, Missouri, and Virginia all have different meal patterns and different nutritional guidelines, what's that going to look like? How are schools going to get any sort of um, value in terms of, um, in terms of volume and in mm-hmm. terms of sale? And how are companies going to be able to forecast sales or create um, menus and products to meet that? It's going to be – I don't understand what the end game is other than what um, Congressman Scott said, and that is the – total dismantling of our programming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to return to those two memos uh, that Congressman Klein's um, office asked me to look at. Um, one of them is, and you've probably seen it, it's mostly a rant about the SNA. It, it describes the SNA's, and I quote here, decision to oppose the bill despite the fact that it addresses many of their priorities as, quote, baffling. Um, I, I don't know, you want to respond to that? Um, sure. <laughs> you know, I, SNA and well, I, w- I was part of these conversations. We were very clear um, what the what we needed in a reauthorization bill. 
We needed um, quick passage. We needed something in CNR that included the Senate agreement on nutrition standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate to be part of the um, negotiated Senate agreement. It was the it was the Senate. Um, the White House and USDA, we came up with a compromise that met the um, need of SNA members as described in our 2015 position paper. Mm-hmm. And SNA stands by our word to support that language. And that's why our 2016 position paper did not make mention to the meal standards. We had met that requirement. We had come with come to an agreement with the Senate on that language. So it, it isn't baffling, well, maybe to, to Congressman Klein, but it's not <laughs> baffling to, to me because we had issues that needed to be worked out, and we worked them out. So to say that, you know, we're not supporting this one, which is weird, because we, we were asking for help before, um, doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, in contrast, you know, we were glad to see that the House bill did include an increase in breakfast reimbursement, but giving us three cents for some breakfasts while taking away 29 cents for others and six cents for lunch and reducing CEP only adds up to a loss. You know, mm. and that's really where, I mean, so I don't understand why they would think that it's something that we would be able to reach out and support at this time. Right. Okay. I just, I just wanted you to, to, I wanted to point that out and hear what you had to say. So, so, so thank you for that. Um, Doug, you know, anything else? What, what have I failed to ask you here? This is a, a big topic. Um, I, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground between you and Congressman Scott. What have, what have I failed to ask you? Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we've both kind of touched on but really don't see what could happen is if states are given this funding and then given the opportunity um, or perhaps responsibility to pull it back when it runs out, mm-hmm. um, what I think we're going to find, especially in states that have large urban centers, is that the majority of that money is going to wind up being funneled rightfully so and perhaps to those large urban areas. And living in an, a rural state like Vermont, um, we've always had the problem of hidden hunger in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these small towns where, where folks are, are just super proud and, and, and not wanting to ask for help, yet they do participate in meal programs at the school because they understand it as being um, something that they can, their kids can participate in without being identified. Mm-hmm. If we start asking communities or, or states to distribute that money, the money that's going to go to the rural communities is going to be substantially less, in my view, simply because the um, the number, the population is just so so much different. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned that the school boards will then be responsible to try to generate that money to create programming within those small communities, and they're pulling it from a rural community that just doesn't have the revenue base that the larger areas do. And uh, I, I just would hate to see our programs become one that divides communities, as child nutrition programs has always been one to unite. And if you're in a community where um, you know your your school board is having to raise 
raise taxes or funds um, to cover food, it, it really does create a, a type of lightning rod within your community that, that really could go in a, in, a, in a bad direction for kids. Yeah. I, I haven't heard that point before, so thank you for that. Um, that's, that's really good to um, have as part of our insights here. So, Doug, I, really, this has been incredibly helpful, so thank you for coming on and helping us unpack this issue today. Um, great having you on at last, and, and I mean it. Let's get you back here to talk about happy happier stuff and and let's do it soon i would love to do that and laura thank you so very very much for um shining a light on this extremely important issue i greatly greatly appreciate it of course thank you um we've been visiting with burlington public schools doug davis who joined us today to represent the school nutrition association's opposition to block the block grants pilot uh, proposed in the house CNR bill, which we also know as HR 5003. Um, if you're new here, um, some words about this podcast. Um, Inside School Food doesn't self-identify as a show about politics um, for the most part. We talk about progressive ideas and strategies for attaining excellence in school food service. Um, but it, it has become increasingly clear that regular listeners and new listeners appreciate hearing from elected officials who work on your behalf, um, and their work has a profound effect on things, how things go in your lunchroom. So we'll continue uh, bringing these people to you as well. Um, and until then, can I ask you to do something for us in return? Um, please let us know who you are by following us on social media. That would be Facebook or Twitter or sign up for our newsletter or even better, um, let us know what you think of what we're doing and what you'd like to see us talk about going forward. And you can accomplish all these things by visiting um, us at Inside School Food. Um, Inside School Food is a production of the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, my thanks and a warm welcome to today's engineer, um, David Tattashore, who is new to Heritage. Um, I'm Laura Stanley, and I will be attending ANC this year in San Antonio. Maybe I will see you there. Message me via the conference app if you want to say hi. And say hi to today's sponsor. Um, that would be In Harvest. And they'll, they will be at booth 1908. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.